three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglul. Great to have you here. On today's edition of the program, Matt Eberflus and Ryan Falls. Spoken recently to the media. We'll break it all down in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with David Kaplan, the host of Cap and J. Hood on ESPN 1000, and the Football After Show on NBC Sports Chicago. We'll talk with him at length about the Bears, from MLB talk, and so much more. It's a great interview that comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zaglul. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Want to start today with this. We as humans have all one collective fear. Everybody could say, I fear this to an extent, the unknown. (laughs) We don't know what's coming, don't know what's in store, so naturally we're going to be scared for a bit. I was. When the Bears hired Brian Poles, Matt Eberflus, you remember my video, I didn't delete it, still up. Certainly wasn't happy. I was fearful, cautiously optimistic, a bit worried. I mean, no experience between the two. Certainly a reason why I should be concerned. But as I've gotten to know them more and more, through press conferences, through articles, interviews, I've grown fonder and fonder of what they're trying to do with the Bears. Now again, I want to preface this whole video by saying they've done nothing yet. All of this has been talk. Maybe that's my pessimistic side talking, but it's true. They haven't done anything yet. Nothing's definite. Nothing's been put into action. Free agency hasn't even started. Or the draft either. There's still no way to gauge how they've done as a tandem so far. We'll know a couple of months. We'll know after next season for sure. We don't know now. We can only decipher, piece together what they're saying and I understand what their philosophy is moving forward. That's fine. But I have to say right now, at least, Ryan Poles has done a pretty good job at evaluating what this Bears team needs and what its problems were last year. Had a couple of quotes to read to you from Ryan Poles from the Combine in Indianapolis. He said that it bothered him when watching film that players were not protecting their quarterback, Justin Fields, from late hits. Quote, 
you got to take pride in protecting the QB. We will fix that. I like that. Find Foles also looked at historical cases of how to help a QB after his rookie year. The takeaway, quote, find him a receiver who can bail him out when he needs it. Bears had that, by the way, in Allen Robinson for Mitchell Trubisky. Admittedly, Fields didn't really have that this past year. Robinson barely played. Darnell Mooney to an extent, yes, and Foles also praised Mooney himself and said he was really high on him. Great to hear. But Justin Fields doesn't have that number one big-time wide receiver, big name, who can bail him out when he needs it. I understand these are a couple of quotes. Doesn't mean all of a sudden Ryan Poles is great and the Bears are doing great things, but it does mean they understand what the problem is. Those two quotes make a ton of sense. Justin Fields did get hit a lot, late especially, sacked way too many times for my liking. Number two, did not have the one guy to bail him out. Obviously, in Matt Nagy's offense, who is going to bail you out, right? But seriously, who do you have? Arnell Mooney had a growing season last year. He's still on the up and up. Not like he's an established household name. Alvin Robinson was sabotaged. So there really was nobody else on the roster capable of helping out Justin Fields when he needed somebody. Think about 2018. Alvin Robinson was that guy for Mitch Trubisky. Whenever Mitch was in trouble, running, bad pocket, on the move, bootleg, it always went to Robinson. And he made every catch imaginable. He looked great that year. That's what Justin Fields needs. Foles also said on NFL Network that he really believes Justin Fields is the guy at the quarterback position for the Bears. He saw a lot of flashes when watching Bill Fields. He can't wait for Fields to start working with Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator. Matt Eberflux wants his defense to be fanatical about creating takeaways. And look, they're saying all the right things here. To their credit, there's no criticism whatsoever. They're saying what needs to be said about this team. They're evaluating the real problems that the Bears have and that they've had. Think about 2018. What made 2018 so special? All these things that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are talking about apply to 2018. The Bears haven't had that since. The Bears have not had any of that since. All these things. This blueprint, this formula that they're talking about for success was there in 2018, and it magically went away. Well, we know partially why, but still. Fanatical about takeaways? A bailout wide receiver for a young quarterback? Late hits protecting your quarterback? All those ingredients were here in 2018. Result, 12-4 season, and in my opinion, could have been a Super Bowl contender. Could have been in the Super Bowl. They had a competent kicker. Now we hear the same things again. These are the things the Bears need to be successful, according to Eberflus and Poles. I like it. And I'm appreciative of the fact that they're not reinventing the wheel, per se. What do I mean by that? Well, they're coming out and saying, we need to fix this, 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 and this. We need a big overhaul. We need to rethink football. That's not what they're saying here. They know how this Bears team could win. On in 2018. Young quarterback, good defense, a lot of takeaways, good wide receiving help when needed, and they won. They did great. Why give it away from that, right? I'm appreciative of their honesty here. 
And here's what I like even more, by the way. This signals small ego or no ego for them. I like they're sitting here criticizing Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. I might be, but they aren't. They're pretty much admitting with all these quotes that 2018 worked for a reason. It worked. That was Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. So why try and reinvent something? Why try and make your team so much different? Just a few years ago, there was a serious winning formula on display. That team had 34 takeaways, clutch wide receiver, young quarterback, good protection, good enough protection. And they won. They did great. Why abandon that formula just because a new regime took over? I love that. That's no ego. That's a sign of no ego on the part of Eberflus and Poles. I love it. There were a lot of positives out of this press conference. Again, though, I want to stress this a lot. No moves have been made yet. It's encouraging to see that they know what's going on, what the problem is. We haven't seen any moves yet. This free agency period, the draft, and moving forward in the next year, Justin Fields' progression too, all this will determine whether or not they're successful, whether or not we could call them successful. I appreciate their honesty and their forthrightness about the state of this team. Maybe at times I'm a bit too much doom and gloom about the Bears. I want the best out of this team, no question, and I don't see a roster at least that signals the best, but... By following these plans, by talking about essentially what 2018 was, possible we could see a big improvement for this year. And I'm not talking about Super Bowl, but I'm talking about potential playoff appearance, potential playoff win, not impossible by any stretch. I'm not going to sit here and feed you false hope. All of this is contingent on what happens in free agency and in the draft. And that's going to be the way to gauge whether or not Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are following through on their philosophy. They could say all the right things right now. What matters is, are they going to execute? See, the last regime executed for one year. Then it was a total train wreck. What will happen with them? How will they execute and bring in what the Bears need? Hey, step one to solving a problem is admitting you have one. Step one to solving a problem is admitting, hey, I got a problem. And right now, Eberflus and Poles are admitting the Bears have a problem. They're also doing this. They're recognizing and pretty much publicizing that the 2018 model worked. 2018 worked for this team. All these quotes, to me, sound like they want to be the 2018 Bears again. And I have no complaints about that because that team was great. I don't have one complaint about that. There's no ego so far. Eberflus and Pulse. They're telling everybody, here are the problems, here's how we can fix them. And based on these quotes, they want 2018 Bears football to return. Fanatical about takeaways. Bailout receiver for Justin Fields. Protecting him from late hits. All these philosophies, all these ideas to improve the Bears, Newsflash, that was 2018. They won 2018 Bears football. Fine by me. I'm not going to complain about that. That's great news. We should all be celebrating that there's no ego here, that they're acknowledging at one point this team was great. 
and that it's pretty simple to get back to that level. It is. It's not overly difficult. I didn't come in here and say, let's abandon everybody and let's rebuild this team from the bottom up. They know what it takes to win. They're acknowledging that at one point, a few years back, not too long ago, this team had a formula, a great formula to win. Fanatical takeaways, bailout wide receiver for a young QB, and the young QB avoiding getting sacked too many times. That's how they won in 2018. I don't care if it's Matt Nagy, Mitch Krabisky, whatever. But the point is, that's how they won. 34 takeaways, decent enough protection for Krabisky, and a bailout wide receiver, Allen Robinson. They won. So why reinvent some sort of winning formula? And to their credit, deeper flus and pulls, they're not doing it. There's no ego here. I love that. That's the sign of a good head coach and GM off the bat. Have to see what they do. Have to see the actions, the executions that they perform. But I like the quotes. I like the philosophy. Why reinvent something that didn't need much fixing to begin with? This Bears team was driven into the gutter by the coaching philosophy more than anything. Had nothing to do with quarterback or personnel. Part of that was, but the majority was coaching philosophy. Matt Nagy and the offense was the biggest problem. Defense always stayed pretty on point. 2018 was great, and the rest of the years not so much, not up to that par, but they were still pretty good. Top 10, top 15, it was the offense that hurt this Bears team for years. And they know that. We all know that. So the philosophy now is, let's get back to 2018. Remember 2018, everything was easier, or at least not as much pressure for Mitch Trubisky. 34 takeaways meant shorter fields. Mitch was more comfortable, made good plays, good passes, had a good wide receiver. And the Bears won a ton of games. You could do the same this year. Tons of takeaways, shorter fields for Justin Fields, and on top of it, a bailout wide receiver. And you could win a lot of football games. I'm telling you right now. You could win a lot of football games if you follow that philosophy to a T. But what do the Bears need? Well, they need a bailout wide receiver. They need better O-line help, and they need to make sure to develop Justin Fields. We all know this. That said, I'm very appreciative of the honesty. And again, I'm appreciative of the fact they acknowledged indirectly the old formula worked. They didn't say, oh, Matt Nagy sucked. No, every quote that they've said, that they've talked about when it comes to success, was 2018 Bears football. Everything. This is not a foreign concept. Fanatical on takeaways, bailout wide receiver, offensive line protection, protecting your quarterback. To me, sounds like 2018 Bears football. And that's fine. They won 12 games. They were great. I have no complaints there. And I love the fact that they agree. They came in. They aren't here to reinvent anything. They're here to win. Not reinvent. Not, oh, I'm going to put in my own system. That's a Matt Nagy thing. Not Matt Eberflus. Not Ryan Poles. They acknowledged there was some sort of success back in 2018 with the last regime. And it's smart of them to say, you know what? Let's not reinvent. 
Let's not go crazy here. This team won in 2018. Why can we get back to that point and move up from there? That's smart. That's very smart. No ego. No complaints. No problems. Just how can we win today and then move up? Well, you know what? 2018 is a good starting point. You get this team back to 2018 level this upcoming year. In two years, there's more room to move up. So I'm pretty encouraged by what they said at the Combine. And as we move forward with free agency and the draft, we're going to have to see what they end up trying to do. Quick note, too, on Alvin Robinson. Article came out recently saying why Ryan Poles may actually try to keep Alvin Robinson from sports mockery. They talked about, essentially, how Poles back in 2010 was with the Chiefs and Dwayne Bowe, whom many of you might remember, great wide receiver. In Robinson's situation, they actually tagged him and his performance dropped off. Not the point about that, but they tagged Dwayne Bowe and kept him. Many of you know I've always supported I've always been a fan, and I've always enjoyed and respected the effort and the numbers that Alan Robinson has put up. I've said a number of times, and I'll still say this, I think it's best for him to leave, not because of anything other than he should go to a team that appreciates him. should go to a team that wants to win something. That's it. It's important to note the Bears have a whole new regime. No more Matt Nagy, no more Ryan Pace, no more games and shenanigans on the field when it comes to how to use Allen Robinson. If Matt Eberflus or Luke Getze too could guarantee that things will be like 2018-2019, then I don't see why you shouldn't at least try to bring him back. Fan base may not like him. That could be a problem. But if you could get Allen Robinson for a cheaper deal, Maybe not the franchise tag, but something a little bit cheaper if his market doesn't materialize. I think that'd be a great fit. If Hamlin Robinson's used in this offense, he can be what he was to Mitch Trubisky in 2018. A bailout wide receiver for Justin Fields. Don't have to go far. Don't have to look to the draft or other free agents. You could still bring in somebody else to help ease the load. Then you'll have two or three really good wide receivers. Robinson, Mooney, somebody else. All I'm saying is I'm not crazy for suggesting It would not be a bad idea at all to keep Robinson in some sort of capacity and use him as your de facto number one, bring in a number two, make Moody a number three-ish, have all three of them be on offense to help out Justin Fields. I think it'd be a great idea. But it's all contingent on, well, a number of things. Number one, did the finances add up? Number two, can there be a guarantee to Robinson that he won't be sabotaged or screwed like he was last year? Will he be a bigger part of this offense again? And those are questions that I can't answer. That's going to have to be on the Bears and the front office to communicate that to him and his camp. But it's worth noting that there's a chance to bring him back. I know it seems so far-fetched. To me, it did a couple of weeks ago, it did. But now as you really look at this situation, when you look at Ryan Poles and what he said publicly, when you look at Allen Robinson and his real problem with the Bears, it doesn't really stem from the team itself or players more so than the old head coach, the old GM, I don't think it's impossible. I don't know how many people feel about that public sentiment, but I'll say this. I'd love a team with Robinson, Mooney, and a legitimate WR3 or WR2, put them all three together, they'd help out Justin Fields immensely, and we wouldn't have to talk about wide-receiving problems for the Bears anymore. 
That'd be another thing checked off the list. Draft a wide receiver, even. Draft somebody. Keep Robinson. Keep Mooney. You got yourself a great one-two-three combo for Justin Fields. It's not a bad idea. And I'm sure as free agency kicks off and gets going, we could hear more of these rumors. I'll report all of them. I don't think it's stupid to at least entertain the idea. If Robinson is willing to accept a new regime and hope for something better than what happened to him last year, if they could communicate with him and tell him, hey, it won't be like last year, and give him a fair contract, I don't see why it's a horrible idea. I really don't. I think it'd be a great idea. For Justin Fields' sake, and especially based on what Ryan Poles said, rookie quarterbacks need a bailout wide receiver. And when you think about all the quarterbacks, even from last year, Trevor Lawrence didn't have that. Zach Wilson didn't have that. Justin Fields really didn't have that. Maybe Darnell Mooney can make the case, but that's pretty much it. Didn't have Robinson, really. Even Mac Jones, to an extent, didn't really have that. Now, it's different in New England. They don't really care about wide receiving help, but had some running backs to throw to. Not the point, though. The point is, every quarterback needs a bailout guy. Look at even Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler had Matt Forte. That's not even a young quarterback. That's a veteran. Needed somebody to bail him out. If you can't have anybody to trust 100% like Cutler and Forte, that was a great connection. You're not going to be successful. Matt Forte had 101 catches in a season. Jay Cutler threw the ball to his running back 101 times. No complaints. Fine, do it. Trusted each other, worked together, did great together. Justin Fields needs some sort of connection. Mitch Trubisky had that. Mitch Trubisky, Allen Robinson, 100-plus catches. Mitch Trubisky threw the ball to Allen Robinson 100-plus times. 2018, 2019, and then 2020, Robinson still had a lot of catches. If you're a quarterback, you need somebody to bail you out. That is 100% correct from Ryan Poles and a smart observation. So the Bears should really consider doing the same for Justin Fields, and Alan Robinson could be a great candidate. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with David Kemp comes up next, so stay tuned. And we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the host of Cap and Jay Hood on ESPN 1000 and the Football After Show on NBC Sports Chicago. Please welcome David Kaplan to the program. Cap, it's great to have you on. How are you? I am great. Good to be on with you. Hope all is well in your world. Same to you, Cap. And I wanted to start with the Bears first off. What was your reaction to their hirings at head coach and GM? Well, I mean, they both come with, you know, impeccable credentials and a lot of people talk uh, in glowing terms about these guys. So I hope they got it right. I can't trust that George McCaskey and Ted Phillips know what they're doing because their track record says they don't. So I'm going to hope they got this right. And I hope that our football team turns things around, but I have no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt, so we will see. How concerning is the no experience or no GM and head coaching experience for both guys? Uh, that's not that concerning because they both have you know, worked in the National Football League for a long time, and Ryan Poles was an integral part of the Kansas City front office. So 
you know, what guys were out there that had experience. There were not a lot of guys that you looked and went, oh, that GM is available. There was no football version of Theo Epstein out there. So that doesn't bother me. Just I hope you got the right guys. Are they capable of success based on where the team stands right now, like roster-wise? Like what changes need to be made here? I think there's more talent on the roster than others believe. But, I mean, their wide receiver room has to be the worst in the National Football League. (laughs) Uh, They need another starting-level cornerback. They need another linebacker that can play in the middle of the field, either spelling Roquan Smith or playing with Roquan Smith. Do they go to a 4-3? Do they stay in a 3-4? You normally are not in your base defense much anymore anyway. Play a lot more of you know, nickel defense. So I just look at what this team has on its roster. They've got to fix their offensive line. They have to. And that means you've got to go get the best available left tackle and then probably add another piece in the draft, and then let's see what they do. But, you know, short of two upgrades on the O-line, at least two starting caliber wide receivers, one of whom has to be a top-flight wide receiver plus Darnell Mooney. Uh, Look, again, I think there's some talent on the roster, but there's not enough for Ryan Pace wouldn't have lost his job. How integral is the offensive line and the wide receivers to Justin Fields' success for this coming season? Oh, it's massive. A, if you can't keep him upright, he's not going to be able to make plays for you. And if you can't have anybody for him to throw the football to, then it doesn't matter if you keep him upright. They have got to upgrade those two spots I talked about. And then let's see what Justin could do. I liked him in college. I liked him in the draft. I think he's a good football player. He's young. He needs a lot of help, though, to get him where he needs to be. I thought he was poorly coached by Matt Nagy. And so let's see if this new coach and this new OC and this new regime can all put enough pieces around that they can build an offense that can score 23, 24 points a game. Matt was somewhere around 18. That wasn't enough, and that's why he's gone. David Kaplan here on Sports Talk Chicago. Cap, how did you evaluate Justin Fields' rookie season from his standpoint, from on-the-field play? Uh, I'd give him an incomplete, certainly a substandard grade. He didn't win a lot of football games. He didn't put up eye-popping numbers. But, again, it goes back to what I talked about. I thought he was poorly coached. He didn't have great receivers. He didn't have a great offensive line. So you add that all up, and I'm not sure what quarterback would have won with this particular roster. I really don't. I'm not sure. You know, if you put Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers there, do they win more? Yeah, probably. But realistic guys, you know, you put in any other average quarterback in the NFL, I'm not convinced Chicago's any better than 6-11. and uh, six and what eleven. How much did Matt Nagy hurt his development, would you say? Um, I don't know if he hurt his development because he's only one year into his career. I think Matt hurt his ability to be successful in his rookie season. I don't think they had a good game plan for him. I don't think they protected him enough. And so this poor guy 
you know, the Cleveland game, you're trying to block five on five, my five against your five. Well, your left tackle, your left tackle is 40 years old, 39 years old. I'm shocked that you're shocked. I don't mean you. I mean people in general. I'm shocked. People are shocked that Jason Peters couldn't block Miles Garrett. Our guy makes a million five. Their guy makes 125 million. On the other side, I'm shocked. People are shocked that the right tackle, Jermaine Effetti, couldn't block to Davian Clowney, the former number one overall pick. I'm shocked that Jeremiah Koros, Korowasu uh, in the middle, people are shocked that Sam Mustafer, who was undrafted, couldn't block him. It was a terrible game plan. And so how you're not rolling the pocket, using screens and draws to slow down a pass rush. So instead, your franchise quarterback got sacked nine times. How did you react when the Bears fired Matt Nagy? Were you relieved? Did you feel anything specifically? Um, relieved? I don't know if I'd say I was relieved. I mean, I got other things going on in my life where <laughs> that wouldn't be what, you know, puts me, um, that wouldn't be what puts me in, like, relief category. But hosting their postgame show, it was time. There's no tag days for Matt. You know, I've had some people up there go, yeah, Matt's not happy with you. He thought you were very, very critical. Yeah, you're damn right I was critical. You're making $5 million a year. You've been entrusted with this football team, and you didn't do a good enough job. It's not personal, Matt. It's business. If I don't put up good ratings and I lose my gig, it's not personal. It's business. Period. If your podcast doesn't get any listeners and you go to advertisers, how many listeners? Oh, I got two. They're not going <laughs> to buy your podcast. It's not personal. It's business. So that's my thoughts on that, Nagy. Were you at all scared? I mean, how did you respond to hearing that Matt Nagy was just mad at you and, and what you said? Did, did you change things up? Like, how did you approach that situation? I chuckled about it. I mean, well, I mean, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> He's not the first Chicago sports person who's been mad at me. I mean, <laughs> Joe Madden wasn't happy with me. I've had plenty of people in the Chicago sports world. I've gotten the phone call from high-level people where every other word is an F-bomb screaming at me. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to back off. I'm going to be me because when I turn a microphone on, my loyalty is to the fan who has honored me by listening to something I'm saying. They got a billion choices, man. They're in the middle of their busy day, and you're going to listen to what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to give you the straight scoop. I may be wrong. It's never going to be perfect, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I am never going to sugarcoat it. And if a player, coach, executive, owner doesn't like what I say, then win more goddamn games. What's the worst phone call you've gotten about your opinions? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but there was a sitting general manager of a team, and he was not happy that I was highly critical of him and his decisions – 
there was another one I got, Jerry Krause. May he rest in peace. Jerry called me and blasted me for being critical of a draft pick that he made at a trade. And I said, Jerry, it's not personal. It's business. I'm giving my opinion. Why do you care that I'm critical of you? Well, these guys are thin-skinned. They can all tell you, I don't read the paper, I don't listen to the radio, I don't watch the TV. That is complete and total BS. They all listen, they all read, and they all are thin-skinned. So uh, the way, like, well, I talked to Ryan Pace when he got fired, and I, and I was critical of Ryan. But again, it was business. It was not personal. And Ryan said, hey, man, I got no issues with how you conducted yourself. No issues. I appreciate you always being fair. When you were critical, we deserved it. That's how I wish most guys would think about it. How do you approach the role that you have here in Chicago sports media where you're catering to the fan but yet trying to balance all these other people in power um, criticizing you and talking about you and calling you in some cases to voice their displeasure. How do you balance that? Uh, I listen to what they say, and then I go back to what I was doing. I mean, if they want to correct me on a fact and I'm wrong, I'll be the first to admit I'm wrong. But it's usually opinion-based, and usually either they didn't hear it but it was told to them, or they only heard a part of it. So, you know, I've gotten into it. Lou Pinella and I were nose to nose. Nose really? to nose. Yes. He was furious <laughs> because I blasted him about something he'd done with the Cubs. And I'm standing on the field before a game, and all of a sudden, this hulking man from behind comes up and starts screaming at me. And I said, did you listen to the show? It was told to me. I said, that's your first mistake. Why don't you go back and listen, and then we can discuss it. If you're not going to even listen to it, I'm not continuing this discussion, period. So that's where it went. David Kaplan still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Cap, let's talk MLB lockout. What's your reaction to the uh, current situation? Um, you know, I've always been down the middle both sides are at fault, but what I watched over the last 48 hours where I thought there was some optimism for a deal, and then I'm reading that they snuck things into the agreement that the players hadn't signed off on, thought that was reprehensible from Rob Manfred and his negotiating team, and I truly believe they negotiated throughout the night two nights ago. Any type of a grievance to the National Labor Relations Board that they didn't bargain in good faith. I don't think they ever had any desire whatsoever to get a deal done. I don't. I think they want to shut this thing down. They want to test the resolve of the players' union. Well, they may be there a while because I think these guys are pretty steeled and pretty tough uh, negotiators. So, you know what? I love baseball. It's my favorite sport. Shame on both sides, but shame on the owners more. How does this compare to 1994-1995? Different because 94, they wiped out the World Series, and it was a player strike, not a lockout. To wipe out the World Series was one of the most disgusting things I have, maybe the most disgusting 
that I've ever witnessed in my you know, long career covering sports in this market. Uh, this is different because I, I don't see a scenario where we don't play this season. I think it eventually gets figured out, whether that's in a month, in six weeks, in eight weeks. I think it does get figured out. But 94, canceling the World Series, by far the worst. What do you expect out of the Cubs this year, assuming things get back on track? Um, look, they don't have enough talent. They don't. Now, are they going to go sign Carlos Correa? Is it going to be a free-for-all where they can pick up you know, four and five new players. They've got the money. I can promise you that. There's no one they can't afford. They're the Chicago Cubs. They can get anybody that they want. So if they're going to go out and make some splashy signings, it's a wide open division. It's not a great division. I think they can absolutely compete. But if they're not going to go out and make a few additions, well, then they're just setting themselves up for disaster this year. Where would you put the odds on a Carlos Correa signing, assuming that you said they have the money? Um, knowing that he's got Scott Boris now and that he's probably looking at 10 years, 350, something like that, I would say the Cubs have a 20% at most chance to sign him. Doesn't mean it can't happen. I wouldn't put my money on What to come with David Kaplan. In just a moment, stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. David Kaplan here on Sports Talk Chicago. Cap, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, your best take that moment is what? Well, my best take that moment hasn't happened yet. If Mitchell Trubisky goes (laughs) somewhere else as a starter, it takes his team deep in the playoffs to a Super Bowl. He has a really wonderful season. Yeah, that I'll be screaming, take that from the mountaintops, 100%. <laughs> uh, my best take that moment that has happened, uh, my Cubs winning. In 2016, I have people telling me, dude, get another team. They stink. They're lovable losers. They're never going to win a World Series in your lifetime. And I was blessed. I was there the night it happened. Uh, I'll never forget that night. It was the greatest sports moment of my life, and nothing that I can fathom could ever come close. They could win the next 15 World Series in a row. Nothing will ever touch November 2nd, 2016. Never. And, Cap, before we finish up today, last question. Your favorite Cubs player growing up was who? Ron Sano. And I wore number 10 in Little League because Ron was a Cub. I loved Ronnie Santo. The fact that he became a dear friend and we worked together for 15 years before he died. Oh, my God. I mean, let me just tell you, man, that was a surreal moment when I started doing Cubs pre and post on WGN radio. And I'm sitting in there and I go on the air and say, hey, welcome in Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air. It's Cup Central pregame alongside the nine-time All-Star, five-gold glove winner, Ron Santo. I'm David Kaplan. It was like an emotional moment. I'm like, that's my freaking guy. That was the guy I dreamt of meeting, and now I'm having dinner with him at the playoffs in 1998, just the two of us. 
went out for sushi in Atlanta. Me and Ron Sano, I'm at his house hanging out. Me and Ron Sano, I'm playing golf in Arizona with him. Me and Ron Santo, and now I'm working with him. Stop yourself. That was the greatest take bad moment of all time because little known fact about me, I was a vendor with my brother at White Sox and Cubs games. And at a Cubs game in 1984, I got 85 actually, I got fired for copyright infringement. I made up t-shirts with my brother that said, so close we can taste it, 1985 Chicago Cubs, because they had lost in the playoffs in 84. So we had this t-shirt made with a baseball with a bite taken out of it with the juice running down the side. Dallas Green saw the shirt, got security to grab me. They confiscated my shirts in my bag and they fired me. And 10 years later, I was doing their freaking pregame show. That's the <laughs> ultimate moment. Wow. That is an unbelievable story. Yeah. Did, did anybody ever say anything to yeah. you? Like when you got the pregame job, did anyone say, hey, we remember what you did or did everybody forget about it? Nah, they know. They never put two and two together. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have got the job. But yeah, that's a true story. Crazy. Well, Cap, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate the time. Uh, best wishes on ESPN 1000 and NBC Sports Chicago. And looking forward to the next time we chat. Thank you so much. All the best to you, my man. Have a great rest of your day, and thanks for having me. Great talk there with David Kaplan. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to David Kaplan himself, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTalman, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember... You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zagluel. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! We are the Turtles!